something that is as intense as what you're going back to, which is, it is insidious. It's, it's ubiquitous everywhere, the invitation to eat. So, so what is it that um, uh, makes us trip up? It's all the unconscious cues, the smells, the me watching you pour your, you know, your latte in and, and, and uh, oh my God, I want that latte. I don't even know that I'm wanting it when I watch you pouring something into your drink. Um, uh, uh, it, it, but we can't isolate ourselves from that environment. We can't. So that's the biggest cue. It's just coming back into the world. Do you believe that God wants you healthy? Then join me, Cersei Blue and Gigi Carter on the Healthy For My Purpose podcast, where we help you realize the relationship between your health and your purpose. We share how eating like Daniel can revolutionize your life. Through discussions and interviews, we challenge you to discover the powerful connection between plant-based nutrition, your body, and your faith. It's time. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Healthy For My Purpose. I'm so glad to be back another week. We have a wonderful episode ahead for you today. But before I do that, I'm going to go ahead and do a few housekeepings like I normally do. Um, First of all, guys, if you are not in the Daniel Fassett Bridge to Healthy Living private Facebook group and you are on Facebook, go ahead and join that group. We are having a great time over there with a bunch of ladies that are on the same mission to get healthy for their purpose. Um, also, we are excited that the Healthy Christian Women's Boot Camp is coming up the pipe. We have the wait list. Go ahead. If you haven't signed up, I'm going to put the link in the show notes. If you have not signed up yet, go ahead and sign up for the Healthy Christian Woman Bootcamp waitlist. That way, as soon as we launch it, which is coming up very, very soon, you will be notified to go ahead and grab your seat and secure your spot. Um, I'm absolutely excited about this bootcamp. And the reason being, and I know I spoke about this, I was on Clubhouse the other night, and I was saying that, you know, our health is under attack um, as Christian people because you have heart disease being the number one killer in, in for all Americans, and that's in, even to include um, Christian Americans, and you have cancer as number two, and then sprinkled in between one and 10, you have stroke, you have diabetes, um, and all of those diseases I just mentioned are reversible by lifestyle or preventable by lifestyle. And so it doesn't necessarily, it's not a, we're not destined to get those things. And so for me, I believe it's fair to say that as a Christian, our purpose is under attack because if we are dying at the, at the high rate at the number one cause that we'll die as a female, especially is of heart disease then to me, the secret weapon that the enemy is using is by um, making us choose an unhealthy lifestyle and shorten our purpose and shorten the call that God has for us. And so I think we have kind of ignored that um, dynamic that's actually happening before us, but it's a real dynamic, guys. And so this Healthy Christian Woman Bootcamp is trying to birth an urgency. It's trying to pull you into a season of enough 
is enough. You know, it's a time to fight back and reclaim your health. So if you are someone that, you know what, you started off good in January and now you're back to the same pattern, you know, you're not eating the way you should, you know, you're not moving the way you should, you know, that you're taking all these medications and you want to either reduce them or come off of them. You know that you're carrying, you know, your 25 COVID weight that's just getting higher or hasn't, you know, you haven't lost anything, or you know that you need to lose weight, whatever it is, if you are feeling stuck, if you are feeling like I, I need some support, I need some motivation, I need some um, camaraderie around getting healthy, then you want to sign up for the Healthy Christian Women's Bootcamp. It's going to be a game changer, a life changer for two reasons. One, we are going to come to you with a lot of knowledge, a lot of uh, word from the Lord. Everything is going to be wrapped up into the conference. But on top of that, we are going to push you to roll up your sleeves and to actually interact over the four days. We actually are going to give you a guide on what to even eat over the four days. So you are going to be doing the Daniel Fast menu for the entire four days of the conference. And why we're doing that is because we want you to be mentally and spiritually clear. We want you to be at your highest frequency. We want you to start detoxing from the things that are holding you back. And so we're going to give you the menu. We're going to give you the guide on what to eat. We're going to remind you when to start your grocery shopping. But beyond that, we are going to go live for four days. We're even going to have some bonus episodes that we're going to go live with as well. Um, And we are going to peel back all of the layers that have us stuck, all of the layers that are keeping us back from fighting back and taking claim of our health. So this one is going to be, if you were ever in the prayer for your health challenge, this is going to be the prayer for your health on steroids, guys, because we are going to actually give you homework that you're going to go home at night and you're going to complete, and then you're going to come back and be held accountable to have done some of the inner work. And we're going to have a private Facebook group. So this time we're not going to leave you up to your own devices. We are going to go into a private exclusive um, Facebook group. We are going to encourage you, monitor, hold you accountable over those four days. And if you are ready to fight back and reclaim your health, then you want to make sure you sign up for that boot camp. So I'll go on and on about it, but that's not what this episode is about. So I will come on with another episode to get into that, but I'm so, so excited about those four days. But the episode we have for you today is actually a very good one. And it's going to actually inspire you to, to, to build up that, that mentality of enough is enough. We are talking in this episode to Dr. Vera Tarman, and she is going to go into everything about food addiction. Is food addiction even a thing? What is the continuum? How does that differ from eating disorders? And we are going to talk everything about having an inappropriate relationship with food and how that could spill over into being an addiction with Dr. Vera. So without further ado, let's jump in to this episode. All right, so you ready to get started? Sure. Okay, great. So Dr. Vera, um, you are a food addiction expert, author of the book, Food Junkies, The Truth About Food Addiction. You're a speaker and your website is addictionunplugged.com. That's right. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Veer. I really appreciate it. Thank you for asking me. So um, in your book, 
you talk about that there's no chance of recovery if the addiction is not recognized and treated. And one of the things I really appreciated about your book was inclusion of the fact that we do have this obesogenic environment, this food environment that's just riddled with junk food, and it does promote excessive eating of those foods. Absolutely. And you point out that it's easy to overlook food addiction in this type of an environment unless you're actually looking for it. Mm -hmm. Can you um, define what food addiction is and how it differs from an eating disorder. But the essential difference between a, a food addiction and an eating disorder is that an eating disorder is a psychological um, uh, impairment or disorder where people are struggling to uh, use their food or their eating behavior as a way to rectify some other psych psychological dynamic, maybe trauma in the past, sexual abuse, um, uh, a way to manage their emotions through externalizing by eating like with their food behavior um, and the idea is if you correct that problem then the food will just take care of itself so the focus is uh, let's um, keep the food as quote normal as possible which means the food that we're eating out there including the bad stuff the the, the processed food industries uh, um, panorama of offerings um, but the main goal is what's the psychic dynamic and can we fix that with food addiction um, we say it doesn't matter you can be happy sad glad mad you can be anything you want uh, it depends on the food and and uh, if you're eating uh, non-triggering foods you can be as depressed as you want and you're not going to pick up necessarily uh, you can be as happy as you want um, and you won't pick up but it, it, it doesn't matter what mood you're in if you pick up food, like sugars and processed foods, you're, you're going to uh, want to eat. It, does, it doesn't matter how psychically sound or unsound you are. So the focus is on the substance externally that you're putting into your mouth with food addiction, and the other one, it's, um, it's what's going on in your brain. And then you're using food as a symptom. When someone eats a trigger food, what neurologically happens in the brain um, when yeah. they're eating that? So the theory here is, is that we're looking at the, uh, you know, the limbic system, the uh, hedonic uh, pathway. Um, and what we're seeing is anything uh, that fires that up, um, uh, then uh, uh, predisposes the person to uh, anything else that will fire it up. So it can be, um, I mean, the, the, the important piece here that I'm going to try to get at is it can be food, it can be cigarettes, it can be cocaine, it can be marijuana, it can be uh, gambling, sex, whatever, uh, internet. Um, if it fires it up, then you're, uh, you've essentially opened the pathway or the gateway, the gate keep, the gatekeeper, um, to any other, any other abuse. What we found is that uh, um, processed foods deliberately do that. That's why we choose them, because they make us feel better, you know, especially if you're feeling a little bit low. Uh, it's a real pick-me-up, but it's a big pick-me-up. Um, and uh, the, the piece about addiction that's so important is once you're living in that land of, instead of the ordinary, the extraordinary, um, you start to develop a taste for that. It's like the chasing the dragon phenomena. You know, once, once you have a little bit of this and you have more and you, have, and you start living in the more because you're eating that stuff all the time, that we essentially become uh, tolerant to that. And now we need even more to feel better. 
Um, and so it ends up being that we're constantly trying to get this larger than life experience, which actually just feels normal to us because we've, we've become tolerant to it. Um, and that can happen with food. It can happen first with uh, drugs and alcohol. Often what happens is, is that people, um, when they um, start with food, when they're teenagers, you know, they, they discover um, uh, sweets, then they gain weight, then they start to go on a diet, and then you, know, you go on a diet, and then that makes you want to eat even more. Uh, and then you realize at the age of 18, 19, oh my God, I've got to stop to pick up cigarettes or something else, booze, stop eating. By the time you're 30, I'm just telling you, this is what I see all the time in my clinics. By the time you're 30, 35, you're saying, you know, I think I'm drinking too much. I think I better quit smoking, put it down, and the food comes back. But it comes back big time. Uh, and then uh, uh, you get caught in this thing. And, and uh, if, if you don't see addiction for what it is, you, you never get out of it. it you, you just get caught in this web, this sort of Charlotte's web of, uh, of uh, you know, being pulled from one substance to another or back and forth. Um, uh, and it's, it's not an eating disorder, even though it looks like one. Yeah, and, and in, in your book, you talk about food addiction as a chronic progressive condition and right. that you, you yeah. use the analogy of an elevator that goes only down, but you have the opportunity or the, you can get off at any floor. Can you, can you talk a little more about the stages, the four stages, the early, middle, late? Sure. Um, and then also maybe talk about um, how you can recover from food addiction before it progresses to the next stage. So stage one, you're starting to think about your food. You're not obsessing, but it's sticky. It's there. It's, uh, I'm not going to eat now, but I'm looking forward to tonight. I'm looking forward to the weekend and the big whatever it is that we're going to have. Um, it just starts there. So, so obsession is the first thing. It starts off as being we call it craving that eventually becomes an obsession and, and that will develop and develop and develop and continually get worse so that by stage four you're not just um, obsessing to the point of thinking about it but it is your first choice i wake up in the morning what am i going to have and as i'm eating my breakfast i'm thinking about lunch and as i'm thinking about lunch i'm already thinking do i have enough for dinner and will i have enough to get through the night like life revolves around food Obsession becomes not just craving, but obsession. Then the second thing is, can I control my amount? So early stage, you're thinking about it, you can still control it. Second stage, uh, control is a little bit less, but it, it, it's, it's still there. Third stage is the next criteria, is it starting to impair? Uh, um, I'm, uh, am I starting to gain more weight than I really is acceptable to me? Um, am I starting to get diabetes? Am I starting to get arthritis? All those things. Um, so is impairment happening? That's the third. Obsession. Um, I can't control it anymore. It's actually impairing me. And then the next one, can I, even when I want to stop, when I want to put the brakes on, can I? No, I can't. Can't stop anymore. And a fourth stage, um, sort of in the stages of addiction, it, it, it's not really discrete stages. It's a gradual continuum. Addiction has this amazing commonality amongst all of us where we diminish or deny it. It's not that bad. Or, you know, you've got a problem, but I don't really have a problem. I will be able to stop, just not today. I'll stop tomorrow. Like, we'll diminish the problem. We'll deny that it actually exists. When you have all of those criteria, 
that fits addiction. Can someone just stay in, in like the first stage and just be there? Or is, does it typically happen where someone, you know, kind of goes through all the stages well, eventually? I, I actually think that um, it, it depends on external and internal criteria. And this is a common across all addictions. So is a person predisposed to addiction in the first place? Um, and we know that the dopamine 2 receptors are impaired or different or that there appears to be uh, a genetic um, predisposition to alcoholism um, and that, it's, uh, that there's been a lot of research done around the dopamine 2 receptors. And that's just that. I mean, there's more than just the dopamine 2 receptor, but that's an area that there's a lot of research in. Um, and that appears to be a genetic piece. So it's, it's kind of like somebody may have already a predisposition so that their first drink or their first food was great. Whereas for somebody else, it's like, yeah, it's good, but it's not, you know, I'm full, I really should stop now, or I've reached a certain weight and I'm not happy with this and I can stop. Whereas the uh, addict, the person with the, the impaired dopamine receptor, genetic or not, um, is struggling because the it's almost like the yes i like to say it as the yes versus the no the yes is just too big it's too inviting my next question is um you say that recovery involves abstaining from the trigger yes. foods yes. why doesn't why doesn't moderation work then there are some people who can um find that uh that, that they can stop and that the obsession doesn't go beyond because they don't, they're not pre genetically uh, predisposed or they just simply haven't had quite enough access yet. It's like when a person starts smoking, a cig smoking cigarettes, if they're just doing it on weekends once in a while and, and they're, they're, uh, it's, not, it's not part of their mentality, like I wanna look cool with my friends or something like that, they're, they're not gonna uh, intentionally smoke more so they, they cross that line where now they've developed a tolerance and a dependency, right? So, so, so and this, a lot of, Drinkers can do that. They can, you know, get drunk or cocaine users on weekend and manage to moderate that because they're in the early, early stages. But if you put um, lots of access, which by which I mean a lot of drug, whatever it is, food or whatever it is, um, and uh, make the route of entry faster so that I might be able to um, drink alcohol, but if I, or, or even use cocaine, um, but if I start smoking it like crack or snorting it um, or injecting it even more so, uh, it goes to the brain faster. And so I become an addict more quickly. And similarly with food, if I'm um, ingesting a lot of it quickly, I'm more likely. So that person early stage is not probably at that stage and they can stop. And you know, when we've done uh, uh, research on uh, numbers of uh, uh, you know, how many food addicts are there in America, uh, you know, the numbers are anywhere from I don't know, six, 7% of the population to 40% of the population. You know, it's, it's, it's a big variation. Um, the six, 7% is probably the full population. And I actually think that's a dated number like of, of 10 years ago, I think we're getting worse. Um, but in the uh, obese population, it's probably 40 to 50%. Um, uh, if you are not in that 50%, um, then you can moderate. So, so you're not actually an addict. You're not predisposed. You haven't had enough exposure. Um, your receptors are still able to bounce back uh, so that there's not enough of an impairment. Moderation will work for those folks. But once you've reached beyond that point where you've uh, um, impaired the dopamine receptors, the theory is you can heal yourself well enough um, but uh, so that you'll functionally look okay 
you're, you're fine, but the moment you have a little bit of a charge of dopamine, it's like a kindled fire, it flares up. And that person cannot have just a little bit of sugar. Um, we, in the addiction world, we say, you know, one is too many and a thousand is not enough because the one starts the flame of the whole uh, uh, dopamine hunger. Best to avoid it. So, uh, it, it, you know, in the addiction world, we say, do your re research. If you can have a drink, then you're not an alcoholic. You don't have this whole impairment thing. Um, go for it. That's fine. But if you find that one always leads you back into rehab, always leads you back into misery and overuse, then um, uh, abstinence is the best for you. And it's not just that you won't get worse, you also won't be craving all the time. There's one little bit will reignite that craving. And you, you know what, part of the good news of, uh, of the message that I wanna give and those of us in this field is, if you actually abstain, you avert that whole desire, which ends up when you stop feeling like deprivation, which ends up feeling miserable. If you circuit that and walk around that, um, after a certain point, you habituate back to normal food and there's no misery. There's no, there's no craving. There's no deprivation. It's actually a, you know, a life free of, uh, of craving. What does withdrawal look like when you eliminate yeah. sugar or flour from your diet? Like how long does it take? What are some of the common symptoms that one would expect if they decide to, to eliminate it, a trigger food? Okay, uh, so food, um, uh, you know, when we talk about food addiction, we, we usually mean number one sugar and then refined, refined uh, uh, carbs. Um, we don't usually mean uh, fats, proteins, behaviors, until you get into a later stages. So it's almost like early stage is um, you're just eating too much sugar, too many carbs, too many uh, potato chips and muffins and stuff like that. But over a period of time, um, the, the uh, um, more and more gets included. So it, even behaviors like just um, the process of eating itself, particular foods like a crunch or the smell of something, like more will uh, trigger you. So withdrawal um, is, uh, it, it, primarily we're talking sugar and refined sugar, refined uh, carbs. So the withdrawal there is, um, I, I would like to say it's essentially slow motion alcohol and slow motion alcohol withdrawal. So the first thing will be um, always craving, um, obsession, thinking about it, feeling of deprivation. When you feel deprived, that's the beginning of a, of a withdrawal. Uh, and, and I want to emphasize that because uh, if you're feeling deprived and you're thinking, oh my God, this is my life. I'm always going to wish for this, uh, you know, favorite food that I always used to eat. Uh, no, you won't. It's just part of the withdrawal and you'll just want it for probably 10 days to two weeks. So I work at Renaissance and we have a food addiction in-house program, not operating right now because of COVID, but I mean, normally we have one. And, and we typically see people, they go in for a month, um, so they're essentially in lockdown for a month. You can't sneak away and have a little bit of something in the middle of the night, you know, because you're in a treatment center. Um, and uh, people will suffer for the first week and that craving and irritability and they can't sleep and they're thinking about food and just irritable and, and uh, very, very volatilely emotional. Then around uh, day, I used to think it took three weeks. It actually really just takes 10 to 14 days they're starting to feel relief. And what is the relief? 
it's, it's some of those symptoms, the agitation, but it's actually just lessening of the cravings. And by the time three weeks runs around, they're feeling fabulous. However, and this is not part of the uh, uh, withdrawal, so the answer to your question is probably two to three weeks of, of um, agitation, anxiety, insomnia, craving, then it starts to get better. But there is a but. And um, if you've been using food, and even the addiction itself, and this is not just for addi uh, food addiction, but any addiction, you might be using the addiction itself as a way to cope with life. You know, this is my problem. And so the other problems, like what kind of job am I going to do? And, and, and where am I going to live? And do I want to still live with my partner? Those things were, 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 were shadowed or oh, they were shadows in the face of the addiction. Well, when the addiction is no longer taking your time, those things come back. And what we saw is that people would get um, um, very, like their problems came up in their face and they didn't have food to get in the way. Uh, after they dealt with the withdrawal, then they had to deal with their emotions. And that's not an easy job, not easy. Yeah, I was gonna ask, is it better? So if someone has both a food addiction as well as maybe some sort of unresolved issue from the past that they haven't you know, dealt with, is it best to deal with the food addiction first or deal with the problem or try to deal with them simultaneously? Yeah. And that is a question that is um, a super big question in the therapeutic community. Um, uh, I, I, um, I come from the school of thought that says that you have to be abstinent first. And, and, and you know, be aware in the addiction world that there's a whole other way of thinking that says, no, you got to deal with the problem first or, or simultaneously. Um, but the, the perspective that I'm coming from is the tools that you will need to resolve those issues are being hijacked by the drug. You can't, I mean, uh, the, the last thing I want to do is sit you in a room by yourself um, uh, take an hour of, of the day to explore issues with you, leave, and, and then um, uh, there you are sitting there and you don't know what to do with yourself. You've got 11 or you've got 23 hours left of the day that you have to deal with yourself. And if you don't have um, uh, the wherewithal, the clarity of mind to start doing the work of recovery, not only of the addiction itself, but of all these other issues, um, uh, I'm just re-traumatizing you. So, so I would say, first of all, get clean, but do not talk about issues like trauma stuff. No, 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 you're not ready for that. What, what I might do is teach you tools for when you are ready, like mindfulness and, and, and uh, uh, prayer uh, support. So you might go to a 12-step program or you go to uh, rational recovery. There's all sorts of different ways to do this, but um, building your support network and your tools, um, get clean, get some clean time behind you at least two to three months at least, um, have your supports, and then you can start to edge into figuring out those problems with a clear mind. Because it's you that has to do the healing. Um, me as the clinician helping you, or the sponsor helping you, or the counselor helping you, um, I, all I can do is direct you into doing what you, helping you do what you have to do yourself. And you can't do that if you're high on food or drugs. So let's say that uh, you recover from a food addiction and a few months goes by. What are some common reasons for relapses? 
Well, wow, the biggest one, you know, um, this is the biggest one is that we live in an obesogenic, um, toxic food environment. And, you know, it has been, and I mean, you, you know, we were not, most of us were not born as food addicts. We, we became them because we were invited into the world of eating all this stuff. Um, well, we can't leave that world. It would be great if we could leave that world. Um, and in a sense, that's what support systems where they, you know, there are some 12 step programs where they say, you gotta, you gotta call a sponsor or somebody three times a day and go to a meeting every and say, Whoa, wait a minute. What am I going to do with that? I don't have time to do all that stuff. But what we're essentially trying to get you to do is build something that is as intense as what you're going back to, which is, it is insidious. It's, it's ubiquitous everywhere, the invitation to eat. So, so what is it that um, uh, makes us trip up? It's all the unconscious cues, the smells, the me watching you pour your, you know, your latte in and, and, and uh, oh my God, I want that latte. I don't even know that I'm wanting it when I watch you pouring something into your drink. Um, uh, uh, it, it, but we can't isolate ourselves from that environment. We can't. So that's the biggest cue is just coming back into the world. If you live in a world with their, where you have kids and the kids are eating that stuff, and if you don't insist that they follow, it's going to be hard. If if your partner doesn't hide the food, if they're cooking it and you're smelling it, I mean, this is all very hard. Yeah, you mentioned in your book um, a story about Clara who recovered, and then she went home, and her daughter, who had no intentions on eliminating the foods that she recovered from from her diet but she was cooking for her mom but she had all those things in the house readily accessible and then that was her reason for uh relapsing that's what caused her relapse yeah yeah and and your comment about every granny is a pusher yeah (laughs) it's so true (laughs) yeah it's not it's not actually not my comment but i love that one because it speaks so true you know, it, it's with the best of intentions that somebody makes something for you and says, come on, I made it for you. And, uh, you know, that's like saying, have a little bit of cocaine. You know, I, I got it for you. I had to, you know, go so, to all this. So, anyway. so how, how would someone respond to that? Because people are very much, you know, wanting to not, you know, ruffle the feathers with friends so, or family. How do you politely decline, you know, offers to to eat some of those trigger foods yeah well you know there's uh if you um if you go into the various support havens like 12-step groups or now there's facebook groups um uh this is the this is the stuff of the conversation it's always this kind of stuff so you know it'll be anything from um thank you i've already eaten i'll take it and, and you know deal with it later you know not saying what you're going to do with it um, if I'm at a party, I'll take the plate, thank you, and then go and put it down somewhere else later, um, uh, to saying I have already eaten, to um, um, I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm allergic to this stuff, or like, you know, it's all evasive ways to be polite. And it is the stuff of all of these support things is how to do this. And it's true, we don't know how to you know, we classify this in the addiction world as boundary setting, you know, how do you set boundaries? And sometimes I know this from my own personal experience, the connection that I had with the person was that like, you know, we would get together and eat, have these wonderful big meals where we would, you know, eat like crazy. Now I can't do that anymore. And, uh, 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 you know, it ends up being awkward to be with the person. 
especially yeah. if they want to do it you know it's, it, it becomes awkward it's a bit like going to a bar and watching everybody else get drunk yeah, if you have an alcohol abuse problem. You, met, you mentioned another key point that I want to bring up too, um, which are hidden um, trigger, like foods that are like hidden within other foods that you just don't realize are in there. Yes. Um, do you want to comment on, on those hidden trick food triggers? Well, there's all, like the, there's all the hidden sugars. And so um, people will often say, so, you know, what about honey? That's healthy. What about um, um, agave juice or, you know, that's healthy. What about, you know, so it, it's not, it's not white refined sugar. What about brown sugar? Isn't that okay? How about brown bread instead of white bread? Um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's all the hidden sugar. So, and also in processed food where you don't even know that the sugar in there, like who? What about diet soda or diet soft drinks? Yeah, so th this is this is one of those uh, gray areas. So remember you were asking me about the different uh, uh, stages of addiction. If a person is in stage one, they might be able to get away with um, uh, a little bit of sugar once in a while, they might. Um, if they're in stage two, they may have decided, okay, I can't do sugar anymore, but I'm going to do a sweetener. And they really, they might be able to get away with it. Um, yeah, it, it just depends on how, I want to say almost how robust, how, or alternatively, how impaired the dopamine receptors are. Because you can, um, first of all, we're discovering that even sweeteners have an insulin effect. And insulin has an effect on dopamine. There's a connection right there. And when there's higher insulin, there's a, a higher dopamine effect. But even without the hormonal piece, the actual thing, the anticipation of sweet, because that's what sweeteners do. It's not a sweetener. It's not sweet. It's not sugar, but it makes you think it is. That is already uh, giving a dopamine surge because it's anticipating. Dopamine is just anticipation. So um, if you're at a certain level, uh, probably between two and three of four stages, um, uh, you probably can't do sweeteners anymore. Um, and we usually, if, if a person has come to the place where they're saying, I have a problem with food, we usually say, if you want to be squeaky clean and just start from a trigger-free platform, get rid of the sweetener. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then if you really want to try later, if you want to take a chance, you might be able to get away with it, but you might not. So do you really want to take that chance? Right. Yeah. So does spirituality have a role in recovery? It depends. Well, I, it depends on the perspective that you use. Um, I would um, like to say yes because food is a, um, a it's a primary. It's it's built into our DNA to want food, to like food. It's it's primary. When you've um, done something that's disordered that whole system, um, that's a pretty basic disorder, and. I think it's really important if you deal with the biological piece of this, don't forget there's the whole sociological and, and then other than that, which I would call the spiritual, that is also built around um, eating and the uh, social aspect of eating and more than that. Um, uh, so when you start addressing that, I don't know if the bias is why I don't think medication is enough. Um, uh, you have to clean up the social, you know, make sure your friends are on board with you. And, but I think it's more than that. I think there has to be more of, you know, why am I doing this? Um, I, I, there has to be a sense of meaning, a sense of purposefulness, which we can call spirituality. I mean, you can call it God if you want. 
you can call it spiritual higher power if you want. It doesn't have to be. It can just be, um, I'm doing this that's going to be very hard and disturbing, especially in the first few weeks. And there has to be a reason for this. The reason might be, so I can help people with this later, um, so I can be the person that I want to be, the kind person that I want to be. There has to be something more. And this is not just food. This is anything. If I have a patient sitting in front of me and they um, do not have any kind of connection to humanity outside of just themselves, but the desire to help other in some other, in some way, I, I'm always thinking, ah, they're just going to go back because life is hard and you have to have something that makes it, makes you be able to withstand that hard while it's happening. And medication is just not enough. It will blunt the edge of the pain, but it won't give you a sense of purpose. So that's what I would call um, a spiritual and, and we can find that through um, just just um, mindfulness meditation all the way up to active service. So in the 12 step program, there, there's, you know, the 12th step is I'm, I'm returning the message back to you. I want to help you now uh, based on my experience. We see that in religion too. You know, the, the whole art of proselytizing, whether you like it or not, it helps the person. So you discuss that it often takes someone with a food addiction to hit rock bottom before that magical moment when uh -huh. they're spiritually awakened and ready to fight the demons of food addiction. Right. And did sadly, I read those words? You, you did, and I'm quoting you from oh, your book. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. okay. And sadly, um, you pointed out that in the stories that you profiled, of some of the people that some of them end up dying prematurely and yeah. are never able to experience that recovery. Yeah. So I, what, I, yeah. I see it in, in my work all the time. You know, what is it that makes one person um, stop and another, you know, I, 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 uh, I the, the magical moment can just be, I've had enough pain. I, the, that the pain is just, the, the pain of whatever it's going to be for me to stop cannot be worse than the pain of this same old, same old, same old. You know, they, they always say the definition of insanity is expecting a different reward. Well, it, it's when you finally realize that, uh, no, it's going to be the same thing. If I keep doing the same thing, it's the same thing. Um, and I just cannot go through this again. So it's, it's different versions of that. Can't do this anymore. You, you've just had so much. And, and it makes sense because ultimately, um, uh, you know, we, we do things because th there has to be some, it can be a, a, a lying to ourselves that this next time will be different. Um, but ultimately, there always has to be some level of hope somewhere for a person to move into something. And when that hope is extinguished, that's what we call hitting bottom. Mm -hmm. There's just no more hope here. And then hopefully a seed has been planted. This is where a uh, 12 step, um, proselytizing comes in, you know, keep coming back. Maybe the miracle will happen today, or it might just be that you picked up the book of uh, my book or something and you go, Oh, I'm actually hearing this now. Hopefully at that point, when you feel like there's nothing here, I'm just doing the same thing all the time. And I feel awful that you then realize, well, maybe this will work. Maybe yeah. and that's, that's the uh, uh, turning point right there. Any final oh, thoughts? Uh, yeah, final thoughts. Uh, first of all, read my book, please. Uh, uh, 
food junkies uh, recovery from food addiction because it gives the science of this and and, and the message that i want to give is that um myself and many others um uh um that i talk about in the book but it's 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 there in the community um have said uh, first of all here is a phenomenon it's called addiction first to sugar and flour and then it can expand beyond that it it is difficult at first to um, abstain, therefore you get support, coaching and support. Um, and if you can get through that first few weeks, then the goal is just to maintain sobriety. Again, you need support, but the good news is it's not a painful feeling of deprivation. It's actually a feeling of, um, of joy and freedom. And that's, that's the message of hope. It's joy and freedom from addiction and also weight loss or weight maintenance anyway. So there is hope. It's actually a very positive message of hope. Just, just go for it. Well, Dr. Vera, your book was very eye-opening to me. I definitely think it's a must-read for any anybody who either thinks they have a food addiction or is living with someone with a food addiction. Or, and honestly, it should be, I think, required reading for pretty much any healthcare provider that's working with clients um, dealing with issues like this. So. Um, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for the interview. Thank you for joining us on the Healthy for My Purpose podcast. We hope you enjoyed the community and are walking away empowered and encouraged to live your healthiest life for your God-ordained purpose. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram to enjoy fellowship with like-minded women. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this on iTunes. Until we meet again... Keep honoring your body for your purpose.